Well, let's turn our Bibles. Let's just put our Bibles on our lap and uh, think about what we're going to do. Hallelujah. Uh, let's go to Exodus, the 19th chapter. We're going to read from verse 13 to 19. Years ago, the Lord spoke to me about three things that would cripple the kingdom of God. And the crippling effect can be reversed because God is a mender and God is a healer and God is a restorer. But we have to be participants in that. The three things God spoke to me years ago, he told me this. The first thing that the devil will strip from the church is holiness. And once he strips holiness from the church, it will become a socialistic identity. That is pretty much happening today. The church has lost its respect. The church has lost its honor. The church is losing its influence in a world that makes statements like this. Well, if they're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Well, you know, uh, they do this and, and, you know, how are they any different? Then we have this great leadership and I'm going to say it as bluntly as I can, failure to maintain the purity that God has called them to stand in. They really have become shepherds without a voice. They have become shepherds without a purpose. They have become fat. They have become dormant. They have become blind and self-satisfied. And it's all about what can happen in their community or their church setting, let's say, and uh, within their own life. As long as food is on their table, it seems like the world doesn't really matter. That's not what we're called to as pastors. But also out of that, the Lord spoke to me and said, the second thing that will go is power. Because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now, I know that we all have authority and we can all cast out devils, but the bottom line is there is a thread of holiness that must be interwoven with a man or a woman's life that is going to operate in the supernatural and on a consistent basis, not just every once in a while getting a little crack and seeing a headache healed. We're talking about that which is going to change people's lives. Remember that signs and wonders put faith not in man but in God. So if we could strip the church of power, it again makes it an entity without any validity or any approval of God. If they ask evidence, how are you of God or how are you any different than Hinduism or Buddhism or Mormonism or uh, Islam, the only thing that makes Christianity different is the supernatural, the supernatural birth, of course, supernatural lifestyle, supernatural demonstrations. But you take that out, Christianity is simply another argument. Could I get an amen? It identifies who Christ is, unveils who God is, and establishes those who have been redeemed by him. And so when you take power away from the church, the church simply loses its position. The Bible says that when the apostles did signs and wonders, no man durst join himself 
to him or touch him in any way. Well, the church now is fair game, and the reason they're fair game is because men have separated themselves, allowed the enemy to socialize the church, separate us from holiness, and has separated us thus from power, signs, and wonders. Now, do people that do signs and wonders, are they any more saved than anybody else? No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying that any man or woman of God that is leading a congregation or anything else should have some type of demonstration behind them. That's what I believe. And uh, then the third thing the Lord spoke to me was this. He said the third thing that will happen is that, they, that the devil will cripple the church financially. And when they cripple the church financially, the church will simply disappear from view. Now, we may have underground churches. We may have groups of people and so forth. And that's all fine when you are beginning. But a mature church should never be driven underground because of a lack of people that live in the principles and stewardship of the kingdom of God. But in the nation, in the world that we live in, we have to understand that finances are more predominant in people's lives and more necessary in their lives because it holds their dreams, their aspirations, their security, their future, and so forth, and they put trust in that. And so people adhere to, hang on to, and put a precedent on having money more so than fulfilling a God purpose. And we understand, because we're believers, we should understand, that our purpose is not just to get gain. Our purpose is to pursue and fulfill our destiny in God through Christ Jesus. Now, those three things are going to cripple the church, and they have over the years. But the next great thing that the devil is going to do is he's going to cripple the church. Now, probably in the next administration or whoever else comes in, one of the great reservoirs of taxes that they are going to take is to strip the church of tax exemption. Now, some people say, well, you know, that's just you're submissive to the government. The government's never told me what to preach. I've never preached what they wanted me to preach. I've all expressed the truth. I've never compromised. I never backed down. I never bowed out. But I'm not stupid. If I can save money by being tax exempt, I'll save money. Don't tell me they put words in my mouth because I'm tax exempt, because I'll show you my faith in the past, I'll show you my message in the past, and I'll show you my message for the future. So I do not believe all that stuff off the web and all that kind of stuff. That, you know, those that have, uh, are nonprofit have sold their souls out to the devil. People believe so many stupid stuff off, off, off of the Internet. Please, just unplug it and be wise, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. And so, but anybody that seems to be separated from any other camp are the enemies. You know, years ago it was... Uh, the, you know, if you're paying taxes, you know, you are supporting the Illuminati and all that. Those churches have all died and went past in the, back into the dust. You know, I don't play, pay taxes. I told one guy one time, I said, when you drive out of here, get off the road because it don't belong to you. Just foolishness. Foolish, pure stupidity in the midst of people. Jesus was a 
taxpayer. And if Jesus did it, I'm going to do it. Amen. I don't belong to the Illuminati. I don't know if the Bushes do or if Hoodoo do or Hindu does or Boo Boo does. I don't even know if it exists. Well, do we open up your eyes? I don't need to open them up. I live right here where sickness and disease and death is running rampant. I really don't have any reason to dream about imaginary things that I'm never going to change. Get your head out of the clouds and get back here and work for the kingdom. I shouldn't have said that, but I meant it. Now, I'm going to tell you what is taking place in the world today. Judgment has begun in the world. Judgment has begun in the rulership. Years ago, when Bill Clinton was caught with Monica Lewinsky in and if you're in here and you're a teen, I apologize that you have to listen to this, but I'm using it for a principle. I'm sure this one statement will not pervert your mind, and you probably already know more than your parents are ever going to know about sex. Now, Bill Clinton said he did not have sex with this woman. I told you out of the pulpit those years ago that when he defined a new revolution that this is not sex, that it would sweep our nation. It swept our nation. Oral sex is not considered sex. And so he redefined what sex was. He redefined the acceptance of that type of sexual encounter. It is sin. Now, we understand that. But the generations that are coming up do not know. And so, what is happening in Washington? It seems like it started on the newscasters from, from uh, Bill O'Reilly on down. And when Bill O'Reilly's first account, he had had numerous, a million, multi-million dollar buyouts of his sexual innuendos and sexual uh, uh, harassments on Fox News. But it began in the news then it went in over into politics. That means that God is doing something. What is God doing? God is declaring to the church, I am bringing judgment to the world. But when God brings it to the world, he's headed for the house. He's headed for the house. And I'm telling you right now that judgment is going to come to the house of the Lord. Sometimes when we don't do things, God in his mercy does them for us. Our neglect will not stop God's plan and purpose. And he will have a holy church that is without spot and without blemish. And so judgment has begun in the world. And you are seeing leaders uh, are falling. You're seeing government. You're seeing Congress, senators and so forth. That's just the tip of the iceberg, but it's going to intensify and it's going to get worse. It's going to be more revealing. But that's for the world, and that's what they judge. We don't have to judge the world. That's not our concern. We have to judge those that are within the house. Therefore, it would behoove us right now to see the signs of the times. Jesus says in Luke, if you'll turn there, 
Luke, the 12th chapter and verse 54. Jesus tells us that we, are, we don't have to be blind. We don't have to be ignorant. God's not doing something in the corner. But you may not see it in the corner if you don't lift your eyes and see what God is doing and what God has declared that he will do. And in Luke, the 12th chapter, in verse 54, where are you, 54? And it says this, And he said also to the people, When you see clouds rise out of the west, straightway you say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say that there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Every time comes with enough signs to awaken the church. And there are enough signs coming right now to awaken the church at a time of visitation of judgment. And then it says this, Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. Now, what does Jesus tell this man? When you're walking in this world, in the magistrates, in the world system, stay aware and stay conscious. Judge yourself. Because if you are found in disobedience to the powers that are, and there are the powers of the magistrates of the earth, Romans 13 and 14, that are set up by God, and then there are the magistrates of the heavenlies. There is the structure and the authority of the heavenlies. And Jesus says, if you are caught with something displeasing or sin, when you are put up, there will be no escape until you have paid the utmost. Jesus is warning us of judgment. And he tells us, open up your eyes. Look around you. Stop daydreaming. Stop walking life as if never going to end. I am here to tell you, I believe. And I mean I believe that Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. There was a, young, there was a man, a, uh, a Nigerian. He stopped. He drove past the church at 6 o'clock. And uh, I had written down some things in March the, uh, March the 17th. 2017 that the Lord had spoken to me in a tongue and interpretation in my private time of prayer and the Lord told me son wake up what you think is life is about to end what you think is okay 
is going to be revealed and come to a disarray. Son, I am closer than even you expect me to be. This man from Nigeria drove by. At 6 o'clock, there was nobody here. And the Lord spoke to him as he was driving by, stop and prophesy to that pastor. He said, there's nobody there. So he was going from Detroit to Cincinnati. And uh, so he drove and drove until he got down to Dayton. Finally, he said, I just could not stand it anymore. He said, I will go back. So he turns around at Dayton and he comes back and he misses the exit. So he has to go to Walpock. So then he comes back and he stops and he goes to prophesy. He thinks Mark uh, Fissle is the pastor because he's got a suit on. I said, the pastor is not that short. <clears throat> and so I introduce myself and he says these words to me. I don't need anything from you. Don't want anything from you. I've stopped for this purpose to tell you that the Lord is nearer than you think. And even in your mind, God is closer than you are estimating. And then he told me some other things which are not relevant to you at this time. So he spoke to me that Jesus was going to come back. And I believe that Jesus is on the horizon. Now, you can look at the earth and you can just say, oh, things are terrible and things are this. Or you can be wise enough to discern that these things are prophetic moments passing us by and bringing us to a place that we are going to be taken out of here. Now, when this happens... The church needs to awake to the purpose of the Father. The purpose of the Father. And the purpose of the Father is, if you'll go to James, the, fourth, the fifth chapter in verse 7. James 5, 7. The purpose of the church right now is that we must lift our eyes and see that the fields are white. And they are white for a harvest. You say, oh, people don't want to hear from, about Jesus, said the deceived person. Everybody wants to hear about Jesus. In fact, Jesus said there would be a spiritual hunger and a thirst that hits this land that would break a spiritual famine. The spiritual famine really has found its place in those that have been born again from the early 70 or 75, 1978, which was a movement of renewal that hit America. And the drought and the famine has been that the people have stopped crying out for God. That's the famine. The famine is not the hunger of the sinner. The famine is the lack of hunger from the church. But Jesus said that there will be men saying, here's a Christ, there's a Christ, all over. And people will be being drawn to them. That tells me that sinners, people wanting to find Jesus, are looking for him. The church is the only dormant identity in this drought or in this famine. The church has seemingly lost its zeal not only to pursue God 
but to pursue and to fulfill his purpose. Now, I'm saying this. I didn't, this is not my message. I, I was going to preach something kind of hallelujah, but I think I just need to wake people up because I'm telling you the world is going to come of what we know it to an abrupt end. And the fields are white with harvest right now. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see anybody with any common sense, anybody that has two scriptures in them can tell that the hour is upon us. And if we are part of the bride of Christ, that it's time to get our garments in order. It's time for us to get ready. It's time for us to be prepared. It's time for us to trim our wicks. It's time for us to sanctify ourselves as it were. As it were, we need to sanctify ourselves. Because the Bible says this in Exodus 19, 13 through 19, that God told Abraham, told Moses, sound the trumpet that the people will sanctify themselves. And as Moses sounded the trumpet, the voice of the Lord was heard by Moses. That kind of paraphrases or kind of parallels itself, I would say, in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse 13. It says, sanctify yourself, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet and my voice, Moses, summon the people to come up the mount. Well, they had to be sanctified. They had to be prepared. If you touched the mount unholy, you would die. And if you are unholy when the rapture comes, at the voice of the archangel and at the sound of a trumpet, we will ascend to the city of God. It's a parallel. That's a typology. And it's warning us that Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot and without blemish, without wrinkle. Now, it's not his job to iron our garments. It's our job. It's not his job to make sure that we are not involved in things that the magistrates would herald us to prisons for. It's our job. So we as Christians must understand that God is calling us to sanctify ourselves so that we can hear the trumpet and the sound of the voice of the archangel that we may be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Now, God warned Israel, sanctify yourself. I'll sound the trumpet. The voice will come. Then you shall rise and come up the mount. The unsanctified do not hear the trumpet. The unsanctified do not hear the voice of God. The unsanctified do not go up the mount. It is time for us to sanctify ourselves. Well, pastor, I think I'm doing pretty good. Don't think for yourself. That's why you have the Bible to renew your mind because your mind is all squirrely. Your mind is all squirrely. One of the reasons that that, that is is that we have, you know, given ourselves over to the doctrines of Jezebel, you know, just an emotional people that are governed by emotions and not by Scripture. And so we all have opinions and we all have thoughts and we all have what is right and what is wrong. You'll die the death of Jezebel if you don't get that stuff out of your heart. 
And I'm telling you what, when Jesus spoke that, said, you know what, I've got things against you, and if you don't do that and overcome her, you will not be in the kingdom. We've got to overcome that stuff. You know, so much of Christianity is all about us. Really, it's nothing about you. What God does for you, he will do. But if you make yourself the center of everything and forget the commission and the purpose and the calling of God, you above all men will be left with nothing. Now, God wants to bless us. God wants to prosper us. I believe in all of that. I'm blessed. I'm prosperous. Hey, I believe in healing. I believe in all of it. But also believe in doing what God wants me to do and living the way God wants me to live. Amen. Absolutely. And so in James 5, 7, it says this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Early and latter rain. Does anybody know what the early rain was? Pentecost. Pentecost was the early rain. It was the outpouring of God's Spirit. And he poured it upon all flesh. And anybody can be saved, and all they have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. The outpouring of that Spirit was with limitation. With limitation. It is enough for us to demonstrate Christ, live for Christ, live in power, live victoriously. But there is an end outpouring. Now, I asked a farmer today, what does the latter rain mean? Well, if you don't get the latter rain, guess what? The ground that your crops are in gets so hard that you cannot till it. In other words, it almost becomes a barren land. The rain is also given to help the fruit that is already on the stock and getting ready to be harvested, and it brings it to a full fruition. In other words, it would finish the corn cob, where if you didn't get latter rain, you would have a half a corn cob. Your soybeans would have small uh, beans in them. The pods might not be filled. So the latter rain is very significant to the farmer, and it's very needed. There are fall rains, and they are towards the end of the harvest. Now, what does that have to do with anything? That has to do with much of you and I here today. There is this end time that you and I are in right now. We can look at the signs of the times. We can bury our head, but it won't change the signs. But we need to awaken ourselves, and we need to have an outpouring of God upon our life. Now, if you will turn to Zechariah 10.1. Zechariah 10.1. When this is poured out, there is no reason for it to be limited in any measure. The Bible says, and I will pour out my spirit. Really, that has to do with the time frame of God 
at the latter rain, God will pour out his spirit without reserve. He will pour it out because the spirit needs to have its full influence upon the earth. But after that outpouring, what is the use for the church to be filled anymore when the church will not be here? So we must receive it all. And Zechariah 10.1 gives us a great insight. This is why God has not, is waiting for, anticipating, listening for a people who will be patient but will call out for the latter rain. And he says this, Ask ye me, ask ye of the Lord, rain in the time of of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. For the idols have spoken vanity, the diviners have seen a lie, have told false dreams, they comfort in vain, therefore they went their way as a flock, they were troubled because there was no shepherd. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats, for the Lord of hosts hath visited his, wow, flock, the house of Judah. Does anybody know what the body of Christ is? It's called the tribe of Judah. Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah, and we are born of his seed. That's why we are kings and priests. That's why there is a roar of a lion in the nature of every believer. And then it says this, and he hath visited his flock, the house of Judah. In other words, I told you, judgment has begun at the house in the world, but it's headed for the house. It's headed for the house. It's headed for the house. God has given us a time of mercy. And I would say to every one of you, seek your homes, seek your crevices, seek for the leaven, seek for things that you know are not right. Seek, find them before it becomes so dark that you cannot find your way. Then it says this, and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Ask ye the Lord reign in the latter rain. Where is revival waiting? What does it require a holy people to ask? People want revival. Sometimes that just means they don't want their family saved and to hell with everybody else. Now that is not what God wants. God wants revival. It's waiting outpourings. I mean gushings of supernatural outpour of God's Spirit in a way that we cannot imagine. And God spoke to me and told me, son, in a way that you have never seen. The Lord asked me to go back to my dirt floor. He said, go back 
and let us begin again. And when you go back the way that you went the first time, I will begin to do things that you have never seen. Right after that, we went to Uganda. I mean, yeah, Uganda. We seen backbones. We seen backs and ribs formed in kids that had never stood, never even sat. We seen people that were dragging themselves with sticks on their bellies rise up and walk. We seen testicles created in boys. And as I was there, the Lord told me, said, son, this is just the beginning. We are going to change the world. And we are. We are. And all of us are going to change the world. But God is waiting to pour out his spirit upon us that revival can come. I am looking for the day that when my foot hits the soil of a foreign country, that before the ants know that the vibration has passed them, that revival will already be there. I'm believing that God can bring revival as soon as I touch the tarmac of another nation. I believe that. Now the question is, is this. Who else wants God to reign on their life? How many of us want revival? Now, I gave you three tapes a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, and in them was a directive or instruction of how to have revival. And I invited you to come and to pray 15 minutes before every service. And maybe this prayer thing at the altar is just like the church, the rapture of the church is coming for a remnant because it sure hasn't been the whole garment. Laziness is not rewarded by God. Negligence is not rewarded by God. If we are wise people, we will win souls. But it's time for the church to cry out for a latter rain. Zechariah 10.1. Just ask me. So all we have to do is ask. I simply ask that people would pray 15 minutes before every service. Well, my kids might then get them up 15 minutes early. Well, they got to, don't let them go to bed late. Well, they just get, make them get their own clothes ready. Well, they had to make them take their own showers. You are an adult. That means you're boss in your kid's realm. Now, you get as much out of Christ as you put in. I know that you are not 15 minutes late for work every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday because it affects your money. I know that you're not late for supper <laughs> just by looking at you. You're not late for doctor's appointments. You're not late for dentist appointments. You're not late to check in and to check out of work. But you're always late for the call to prayer. And so I'm telling you right now today 
that God wants to pour out his spirit upon the people. Now, it's going to be some people. The choice is, will it be this people? That's the choice. It's not the choice if he's going to. The choice is who he's going to. And I'm telling you, God is headed for the house. And he's headed for the house to prepare a remnant. And he's headed for the house to find the virgin bride. And he's headed for the house to collect that which belongs to him. He's headed for the house to get those that have been about the Father's business. And so I did, hopefully, three or four weeks ago when I gave you the tapes that, that we would grasp that moment. But maybe that moment just needs to be a little more defined. I think that every believer can be here sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock and you can give 15 minutes to praying in the Holy Ghost for God's outpouring. Listen, folks. The end are drawing near. Jesus is coming. I don't know when, but I knew, know that it's on the horizon. And every day that I live, I believe that I've been granted mercy to see one more day. But I must not use it frivolously. I can't use it to build my own barns. I can't build it to tear down old ones. I need to do that. The will of the Father needs to be done. Jesus said, I must work the work of my Father while it is day. See, because the Bible tells us in Isaiah, it says that I'm going to come to the watchman, and the watchman is going to declare what he sees. And here's what he's going to see. Listen to what the watchman sees. I see the morning coming, and then I see the nighttime fall. Usually we talk about, well, you know night, and praise God in the morning. No. The watchman says, I see the morning coming, and then I see nighttime fall. The morning is coming. Really, the morning is upon us. It's time for us to arise, to shake ourselves, awaken ourselves unto righteousness, and sin not. It's time for us to get ourselves out of a drunken stupor and become sober about the things of God. And so I'm encouraging, I really don't even want to encourage you. That, that's just a just a low word of saying I don't want to offend you. I expect you to start being at these altars before church. And I expect an outpouring of God from him who is faithful. But I expect the people who he calls his own will do their part. Could I get an amen? Amen. You can have a supernatural church or you can have a program church. And if you've been here around long enough, I really ain't into programs because I ain't putting on tights and dancing in front of nobody but Phyllis. I'm just not going to do it. 
And in this body, you ought to be grateful that I'm not going to do it. But we are going to see God. I have never believed God for the ordinary. I believe God for the extraordinary. I never believed God to pastor a church just in Bockton's. I believe God to reach the world from Bockton's. And that's what this church is all about. It's not about a comfort zone. It's about a God zone. It's about where people can believe that God is, that God can, and they can see it demonstrated. That's what we've always been, and that's what we always will be. I asked Lincoln a while back, I say, Lincoln, if Jesus doesn't come back before I die and I die, you can change the name of the church. And he said, do what? How could I name, change the name of the church? It's what I am. I've been raised to believe. I said, good, good. But I was just telling you, you don't have to tell me. I know what I believe. I know what I have to do. And I know who I am. Good, good, good. Do you know you're in danger of being knocked in the head right now? No, I didn't catch that part. Now listen, I'm calling this church to prayer. Calling it to prayer. Calling it, if you have to, I'm calling it to a place of repentance. I'm calling you to cry out unto the Lord for an outpouring of God that we are not going to be satisfied till we are neck high into the waters of God. And God will do what only God can do in our lives and in our world. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Just bow your head for just a moment. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, I think of that house on Elm Street. I remember when my mother told me the first time at Elm Street that she thought there was something different about me. She said, everybody can see it. She told me, you were always reaching out. You were always trying to do something. You were always a, a screwball, an oddball. But they, it was a good thing. And I remember those words that my mother told me. You've always had a touch on you. I remember that house on Elm Street. God has a touch on your life. You're unique and you were born for a time such as this. We must be about our Father's business. O oh, righteous Zion, daughters and sons of God, the virgins of the bridegroom, prepare yourself. Cry out to God ask for the rain fill your lamps and trim your wicks for the day of the Lord is upon us 
day of the Lord is upon us. It is morning and night is coming. Let us harvest while it is day. The fields are white. Let us put our hands to the sickle. Let our strength and fortitude come from God. Let us not fail this hour. Let us not miss our moment. Let us not miss what every generation, every prophet and every apostle and every man and woman of God in the past has looked forward to, the revival of God, the end time harvest, the sweeping in of nations in a moment of time. Who will I send? Who will go? Who will stand in the gap? The harvest truly is plenty, but the laborers are few. Let us rise up, shake ourselves from yesterday's stupor, and let us be the people that God has redeemed, and let us be the people who know their God. Father, we thank you. We just thank you, God. Burn in our hearts, God, like a coal. Burn in our hearts, God, like a fire that cannot be quenched. Set us ablaze, God. Pour your spirit upon us until there's nothing left except us saturated with you. And God, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Wednesday evening. Hallelujah. At 7 o'clock. Praise God.